TSN 1050 Playoff Special. Oh, baby, what a play! The Raptors and the NBA Finals live here. Oh, yes, guy. Well, we've had some rest, and so, oh, yes, guy, should sound like this. Oh, yes, guy, come on, let's go. Let's get this thing moving. Game six tomorrow night, live here on TSN on the TV side. We will have extensive pregame coverage right here on TSN 1050. Commercial-free halftime and extensive postgame. And, of course, depending on the result, that extensive postgame could be all in capital letters. That could go on a bit, but we'll see. Don't want to get ahead of ourselves. But the developing story is getting set for Game 6. So here's some numbers. I just want to do some numbers stuff here. And it's a bit of a trick involved, but bear with me. You know you know my sense of humor. So here we go. Uh, May 7th, Game 5 against Philadelphia, which the Raptors won. And I'd forgotten this. 125.89. The number is 56,000. May 30th, 407,290. Uh, that's Game 1 of the NBA Finals. Game 2, June 2nd, 491,855. And on Monday night... The number is 1,031,985. And so you're saying to yourself, Guy, what the heck are you talking about? What do those numbers mean? Are they television ratings? No, sir. They are the prize amount for the 50-50 draw. So that's how that has grown. Uh, The numbers for TV are really impressive. In Game 5, the combined audience across the nation for television, 6.9 million, 14.5 million, 40% of the Canadian population watched all or part of Game 5. And through five games, 50% of the Canadian population has watched all or part of the 2019 NBA Finals. And, of course, expect a new record tomorrow night when the Bell TSN platform brings you Game 6 on television. Those are just astounding numbers. To help us sift through them, let's bring in Tom Manick from the Sport Market. It airs every Saturday morning at 10 a.m. right here on TSN 1050. Tom, welcome. How are you this morning? Not bad at all, yes, guy. I'm, uh, you know, as I was kicking around with a the rad there, uh, looking forward to another couple of days of this. Hopefully, not too many more days. <laughs> you know, yeah, well, basically, it, given the situation the Raptors are in, it ends tomorrow night or it ends Sunday. So there is, a, I mean, it's a limited. This is a limited edition now, is what we're talking about. But those those television ratings, they get they, they set new records by the game, and those are some great numbers to work with. They're absolutely terrific numbers to work with, and you've just said it all. Uh, they're they're made to be broken during this remarkable Raptors run. You go back to Game 7 of the Philadelphia 76ers series when Kawhi Leonard hit the quadruple bounce buzzer beater that won the series. That was contributing to a 2.2 million average national audience, and that was the most watched NBA game ever in Canada until that point. But boy, oh boy, a lot of water has flown under the bridge since then. That record went to 3.1 million in Game 6 of the Milwaukee Bucks series, and then it went to 3.3 million in the first game of these NBA Finals. But since then, it's been 4.3 mil in Game 2 on TSN and CTV2, uh, 3.8 million in Game 3, 4.6 million on TSN and CTV2 and along with RDS in Game 4. And as you mentioned, uh, an average national audience of 6.4 million, a peak of 8.5 million, and more than 14 million, um, you know, watching all or a part of that game. Uh, you hit the nail on the head. Game 6 will go into virgin territory. It's on TSN and CTV2 across the country. Uh, I would expect we're talking, you know, somewhere between a minimum of 6.5 million and potentially north of 7 million average national audience, which continues to put 
whatever happens tonight ahead of Super Bowl and the Grey Cup, who are the one-two punch in terms of annual sport television events in country. So it's it's a remarkable run on the TV side, no question. So just a, like a, a nitpicky question about the number. So if I've tried out 6.4 million, uh, is that uh, like what is that six point four million? Do, do, in other words, when we're when we're seeing uh, eighteen thousand people at Mosaic or you know twenty thousand people in Mississauga, does that actually count as one? Well, you know what, and that's such a good point because listen, the numerous television ratings—they're not an exact science; they're estimates. They're they're the best that technology can provide right now, and even then. Some people suggest that they're they're not what we need uh, to really capture what we call total audience delivery. So uh, let me just break it down. I mean, for Game Five, six point four million is the average number of Canadians who are watching in any one minute. So that's essentially your average viewing audience for the course of the entire game. The aggregate or the cumulative audience of eight point five million. From Game 5, that's people who watched all or some of the game. The 13.4 to 13.5 million is the peak audience. That's an, at 11.32 p.m. Eastern uh, on Monday night. Uh, that's the total view-in at that time. People who are calling their friends and tweeting and texting their friends and people who are coming in to be part of the audience. But it doesn't include bars, restaurants, it doesn't include public viewing parties, it doesn't include video streaming. So the total audience delivery in my books is at least another 10%, uh, if not north of those numbers, when you include all in. And I think that's what's going to happen over these next few years. You're going to see more and more citation of what we call total audience delivery, which is the in-home viewing plus the out-of-home viewing uh, which is broken into the pubs, restaurants, and the public viewing parties, which have been just a remarkable phenomenon in and of themselves with 56 of them and counting across the country. So, Tom, if you go to the Scotiabank Arena or even watch it, I mean, you understand, uh, you know, what, what's happening there in terms of it being sold out, in terms of the demand for tickets, the price you can get for them, in terms of uh, all the extraneous revenue generated by concessions, uh, et cetera. And, and you would look at that and go, wow, somebody's making a lot of money here. But obviously, the gate is huge. But how is that carved up? Well, it's such a great question, and it really speaks to the theme of what the NBA is all about and, and how the NBA has been so successful with average franchise values. It is the hottest of the five major North American professional sports leagues in terms of growth of enterprise value and growth of revenues. A big chunk of that, of course, comes from the nine-year, $24 billion-a-year deal uh, with ESPN and TNT on TV. And it's all about revenue sharing. So even though last year the Golden State Warriors were doing about $15 million a pop during the NBA Finals, their average take-home from the NBA playoffs last year was closer to about $5 million a game, or about a third of that. It would be the same for the Warriors and the Raptors this time out. So you've got, of course, the two teams. You've got the home team. Then you've got the visiting team, and then you've got revenue sharing of up to uh, you know half of that going to the other 28 teams in the NBA. And it's remarkable when you look at, uh, for example, um, uh, Golden State Warriors against the Cleveland Cavaliers. You had, over the course of nine home dates 
for the Warriors last year. They did 44.3 million. The Cavaliers, similar number of home dates, they only did 20 million. Toronto is about midway between the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Golden State Warriors in terms of what they draw per game. But again, it's still a big chunk of change, even if it winds up being uh, that gross of 15 million uh, per game for the home team and five, four or five million per home, uh, per, per team for, um, you know, the, the actual NBA playoffs. It's gravy money, and it is something that is going to take the French, the Raptors franchise value up a couple of notches from its current estimate of $1.675 billion by Forbes magazine. So, again, revenue sharing is more liberal in the NBA than in any of the other leagues. Okay, let's translate that. Let's put that in percentages. If I understand this right, and just jump in where I'm wrong, the Raptors would get one-third, the Warriors uh, on a Raptors home game would, would, get, would bring it up to a half, and the league gets the other half? Is that right? Yeah, ball, ball, ballpark terms. That would be that would be about it. I mean, you know, people thinking that the Golden State Warriors are going to take in fifteen million dollars uh, tonight. That's true of gross, but then by the revenue sharing formula, they divvy that up with the Raptors. They divvy it up with the other twenty-eight teams. I mean, one of the biggest beneficiaries, one of the teams that's making more money tomorrow night than they do in a lot of their home games. The Memphis Grizzlies, you know, the <laughs> Memphis Grizzlies are just cooling their jets, they're sitting at home, and uh, they're saying, okay, let's count the money from Toronto and Golden State. That's the way it works. And the, the Toronto gate, of course, is Canadian currency, right? Well, Canadian currency in terms of the fact that the tickets are sold in uh, Canadian dollars, absolutely. Uh, the only team in the NBA, obviously, that does that, whereas the Golden State Warriors, you'll see more pop in terms of what they're doing in terms of tickets simply because of the fact that it is in 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 US in US currency and the NBA does get involved as well in terms of setting the actual primary market ticket prices uh you know we see you know face market uh, upper bowl tickets of a uh, face value upper bowl tickets in the range of 450 500 dollars per game but we also know that the get in price the secondary market the resale market is seeing um, uh, nothing less than about $1,300 per game. And that money, only a small commission of that goes to the Raptors and the Golden State Warriors. The rest of it goes to the ticket brokering houses and, of course, the people selling the tickets. So help me understand this. This is an NBA show. We've said this many times that, that the, the finals, the home games are, I mean, they're, they're, they are the domain of the NBA in concert with, with the home team. What, what does, I mean, what is still belongs to the Raptors in that building on a game night? Is there anything or is it all NBA? And, and I'm including uh, concessions in there as well. Yeah, you, you, you add everything together, and certainly uh, nobody's going to feel sorry for Larry Tannenbaum, Bell and Rogers, the ownership group uh, behind the Toronto Raptors, because, you know, they are sharing in this bonanza of being in an NBA Finals. I would say that if you, there's two ways to look at it. I, I would say you could say about, about half of the, you know, 10 to $15 million of revenue that's popping per game is going to stay resident with the home team. And then uh, the net net would be about a third of that. And I say net net over the course of the NBA playoffs, going all the way back to the opening series against the Orlando Magic, it'll average for the Raptors in that neighborhood of uh, 
between 2.5 million and probably 3.5 million per game. So uh, again, going on last year, here's the best way I can answer it. If the Raptors aspire to be in the same shoes as the Golden State Warriors who won the championship last year, sweeping in four, of course, if the Raptors want to be NBA champions, they'll probably do so on the strength of uh, about you know 11 to 13 million um, uh, gross per game in the NBA Finals, and then their net take home for the franchise will be in that neighborhood of about uh, three. $4 million per game going over the course of the NBA Finals. Okay, I know it's early where you are, but hopefully you're sharp enough to do this. Let's do this. Let's do an ad lib calculating uh, exercise here uh, based on what you could come up with in terms of what the, what the Raptors would have made to date. So first round, three home games, it ends in five. Uh, second round, four home games, it ends in seven. Uh, third round, uh, three home games, it ends in six. And so far, three home games. And quickly, that is 13 home games. What do you think the take is for the Raptors over 13 games, understanding that as they go deeper, it escalates. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to do a ballpark and, and suggest that you're looking at 30 to $40 million all in. And when I say all in, not only the uh, calculated formula of TV revenue and ticketing revenue that comes in um, on a game-in, game-out basis over the course of those 13 home games, over the course of the four rounds, uh, which is pretty significant money, the only team in Canada who has made near that in a postseason run in the past decade is the Vancouver Canucks who made it to Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final in 2011. And they did about, you know, 27 to $30 million uh, in terms of uh, postseason money. So it would be in that ballpark for the Toronto Raptors, but that does not include... Jim, it does not include um, the concessions. It does not include special licensing deals in and around Jurassic Park. That money is all resident with Maple Leaf uh, uh, Sports and Entertainment. When they sell the Jurassic Park concept, it's also a revenue sharing and a protocol sharing deal with NBA Canada. Typically, Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment is able to market the Toronto Raptors within Ontario. The other nine provinces and three territories that revenue goes to NBA Canada, which in turn goes to the NBA, which in turn goes to revenue sharing among the league. So uh, it's, it's a big party for everybody, not just the Raptors and the Golden State Warriors, but certainly the two teams that are in the finals are rewarded with by far the lion's share of the revenues. So again, we're going to just sort of translate this. We're talking $40 million bucks, uh, basically over the gate for the entire playoff run. All that other extraneous revenue that you talked about, what do you think that totals? That's a tough question because I'm putting you on the spot, but just a number. Well, you know what? I, I, I'd say it's, it's at least another $10 million. I mean, that would be my, my, my guesstimate. Uh, you know, I don't have all of the, the, the breakdown of, of what is being sold for these Jurassic Park deals. Uh, I think that both NBA and Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment have been very, how can I say, uh, attracted by the notion of the fan engagement, and they haven't, you know, nickel and dimed anybody in terms of rights to do so. And, of course, they're trying to bring sponsorship by Tangerine and Coors and others to, um, you know, of course, the main Jurassic Park and then to as many of the other ones as possible. I would say you're looking at, uh, you know, another another $10 million. And I don't think it's out of the realm of, of, of possibility that the entire 
postseason uh, uh, juggernaut for the Toronto Raptors equates to 50 million, which is a significant chunk of change. It's you know it's 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 basically a third of what they'll do the entire uh, regular season, and that just shows you how important it is for teams to make it to the playoffs and to go deep. Even though you can, as I said a few minutes ago, you can be the Memphis Grizzlies sitting at home not making the playoffs and you can still enjoy in the revenue sharing because that's the way the league operates. I mean, just as an example, I mean, there's no league that is as liberal in revenue sharing as the NBA. When you look at the the Rakuten deal that the Golden State Warriors have on their jerseys, and you'll see again tomorrow night, and the Sun Life deal that the Raptors have, I mean, 25% of that, only 25% of that goes to the Raptors and Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. 50% goes to the players and 25% goes to the other teams in the NBA. So on Rakuten, it's a $20 million a year U.S. deal. It's the biggest in the NBA. Uh, It's about twice the, uh, or just over twice the the Sun Life deal. Uh, But again, uh, it's not just the the home team uh, or the, the, the team that's being sponsored that gets the revenue. It's shared with the other teams, and that creates some balance. And the NBA is trying to make sure that there's as little a gap as possible between the, uh, you know, the Denver Nuggets and the Memphis Grizzlies uh, compared to the L.A. Lakers and the New York Knicks. So, I mean, just a rough guesstimate. If they were to go to Game 7, regardless of whether there's a win or not, just based on that revenue, we could be talking as much as $60 million generated in a playoff run. Yeah, I would say that that's that's fair in terms of uh, uh, Canadian currency. I think it's 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 as good a guess as I can make based on um, the way the protocols are, the way the uh, the the revenues go to the home team, the visiting team in the finals, and what's set aside for the uh, uh, the rest of the team. I think that's a I think that's a pretty safe bet. Uh, and one last question for you, Tom. Uh, you said that the franchise is valued at, at $1.675 billion. If they were to win this thing, what does that do to the value? And, and how has the value grown over the last several months? Well, I, you know, franchise value tends to grow slowly over time. Uh, it, it's a snapshot as well, but it tends to grow slowly over time. But it's all based on revenues in in general and television revenues in particular. So the best way I can answer your question is if they're at 1.675 billion and now they've adjusted it to about, you know, 1.7 billion US dollars based on uh, you know where the the team is at, how deep they've gone in the in these NBA finals. You go back to 2012 when Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment um Rogers Bell and Larry Tannenbaum at 37 and a half, 37 and a half and 25%. They bought the Toronto Raptors for 400 million US dollars. That's in the deal. That's what was allocated uh, in terms of a portion of the overall transaction. 400 million dollars. Toronto Raptors, well, they're now worth four times that over the course of the Bell Rogers, uh, Larry Tannenbaum ownership. Uh, that puts it into perspective. And it's only. Uh, it, it's only going to continue to grow for both these two teams in the finals. The Raptors, because they're going to continue to get more 
provincial sponsorship uh, from throughout Ontario. They're going to have people on the waiting list for season tickets next year. And then the Golden State Warriors are moving from what tomorrow night will be the last game ever at Oracle Arena, no matter what. They're moving from Oakland to downtown San Francisco in the Chase Center. So I think the $3.6 billion, which is about twice the Raptors' valuation that is accorded the Golden State Warriors, that also will only go up by moving into downtown San Francisco right near Oracle Ballpark. And then the, uh, the purchase price for the MLSE Empire was, what, $1.3, $1.4? Uh, you know what? It, it was in not including the real estate holdings. It was in that uh, uh, it was in that neighborhood. Of course, uh, the Leafs are valued according to Forbes magazine, and there's a little bit of a skew because Forbes, of course, is American. It it, it tends to overvalue New York teams and Chicago and LA teams compared to teams like Toronto. But uh, the Leafs are at 1.45 billion. The Jays at 1.5 billion. So. Who'd have thunk it? But the Toronto Raptors are the most valuable sports property in all of Canada. And they've come a long way, Jim, from people who questioned back in 1994 when I had the privilege of being involved as a first-team executive, questioned whether or not they'd be sustainable in Toronto, whether or not they'd last, while they wound up being the 11th biggest business unit in the NBA, the fourth most attended team in the NBA. And those are pretty terrific numbers for We the North. Tom, thanks very much. Really appreciate it. Hey, all the best, uh, Jim. And uh, hopefully the only number that matters is four games. Four games to two. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like those numbers add up. Okay, thanks a lot, Tom. That's Tom Anik from the Sports Market. At Sports Market is the Twitter account. You can listen to his show every Saturday morning, 10 a.m. on TSN 1050. That old line, it'll never work. Yeah, I've heard that one a few times. So much for that. Uh, when we come back, we're gonna. I want to cleanse the palate on, on Game Five. Some stuff there that just can't swallow. So we're gonna go over that over the next two segments. Yes, guy, no guy appears in the final segment of this hour. In hour number two, Bruce Arthur will stop by. Micah Adams will stop by. He's the global managing editor for NBA.com, former ESPN numbers guy. And Matthew Cause will drift in at eleven forty to take us up to. Uh, oh, sorry, it'll be uh, Sherm Hamilton at eleven forty. Thank you. Have to adjust my lineup. Sherman Hamilton uh, will be with us at eleven forty, and then at one. Uh, sorry, at uh, noon. Wow, it'll be uh, Andy Petrillo and Leafs lunch, followed by Matt Cause at one. Good, sorted that out. Thank you. This is Raptors Shootaround, TSN ten fifty, TSN ten fifty dot ca. Also available in the TSN and iHeartRadio apps. That's kind of ominous. Raptors Shootaround, TSN ten fifty, TSN ten fifty dot ca. Jim Taddy with you until noon. So, we look forward to Game 6. You can watch it on TSN, be part of a record-breaking audience nationwide on TSN 1050, two-hour pregame show, commercial-free halftime, extensive postgame, and extensive in capital letters should the Raptors win. Last game ever at Oracle. Motivation for the Warriors or added pressure on them? I just can't believe that you would be in that Warriors dressing room and, and that thought would even enter your mind. Hey, it's the last game here. Let's go out and win. <laughs> I think you'd want to win anyways, because if you lose, uh, well, there is no other game. So, I mean, it's a great story, and there's a lot of this stuff that exists on the outside. It's great conversation. There's nothing you matter with conversation. You know, when you're at work or around family or friends, I mean, you're going to talk about this. This is a, a must-converse topic. There's, there's no way to avoid that. Uh, the relevance of it is another story, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't talk about it. Of course, we're talking about it right now. Can the Raptors do the unthinkable and win three games at the Oracle in the same series? Anything is possible. 
And uh, I don't know that anybody thought they could win two in a row. Remember, it's not just two wins. It's two in a row separated by 48 hours. That is impressive on its own. Kyle Lowry said before game three he plays better on the road and then went out and proved it. And, well, that happened tonight. So I decided to look him up in game three. What a stud performance. 23 points. 8 of 16. He was shooting 5 of 9 from outside. And uh, he had four rebounds, nine assists, a steal and a block in 43 minutes. In game four, he had 10 points, three of 12 shooting, missed all his three-point attempts, couple of rebounds, seven assists, which is good, three steals, which is good, 37 minutes. So, I, you know, and I have the, the line from the, the first two home games, the one he followed out, uh, superior uh, on the road. And, and so I, I think with the uh, Raptors analysis, what you'd like to see is is more than one person adding to what Kawhi Leonard is doing. In fact, I was talking with a radar producer before the show, and I was of the opinion that you know it, it, it sort of they they sort of sit back and wait for Kawhi to to maintain things and then take it to the next level and and then they follow suit, which is you know you would with a player like that. But if you keep doing that, that becomes somewhat predictable. I'd like to see Kyle and, and a couple of other guys try to lead the way and maybe help out to Kawhi as as, a, as opposed to, to letting him lead the way and then jumping on his bandwagon. Well, we'll see, but you don't want to become predictable because then the Warriors will know what to do. Uh, we have some uh, stuff here, and I'm going to talk about the uh, the final possession and, and all that analysis stuff that uh, it's in an altered state for me, and I'll explain why. But first, Dan Patrick on, on the Raps' final possession of Game 5. I didn't like the last couple of minutes, but it's sometimes we just we give more credit or blame to the final three minutes of an NBA game. There's other things that happen during the course of the game where – you know, there could be something that happens in the first half, first quarter, third quarter. I didn't like the last shot. I didn't like it at all. It started late. It didn't feel like there was any game plan. They should have known they're going to double Kawhi. Uh, all you need is a basket. You don't need a three. I just didn't like it at all, um, the way that un- unfurled. And I give Golden State a lot of credit. You know, those last two shots are big boy shots that Clay and, and Steph hit. You, but you were you went toe to toe with them. You got something out of Durant. Uh, Clay and Steph played well, and you lost by one point. You're favored now going into Game Six, and I thought the psyche of of Golden State's a little more interesting. Okay, Toronto lost; they could have won it at home. Now we go out there. Let's take care of business. We don't have to worry about Durant at all. If I'm Golden State, you won a game, but it feels like you lost something too. Lost something really big. And how do you fill that void? Because Durant's not coming through that door now, and you're going to look around that locker room and go, golly, this is a fife and drum bugle corps. Like, we're, <laughs> we're just banged up, and yeah. maybe we limp into this. Maybe we force a game seven. I still like Toronto to win this series. That is Dan Patrick on first stop with Michael Landsberg and Carlo Koliakobo. And I'm going to sound like an echo chamber, but I totally agree with most of what he had to say there. I think that uh, sometimes we're, we're used to these uh, edit programs from the computer where you can just go back and change one scene. Uh, what he said there about the, the final shot, not liking it, uh, my issue would be that, uh, you know, watch Draymond Green on that play. Rad told me this, uh, and I looked at it and, and backed him up. Uh, if you watch the coverage there, I mean, Draymond Green's all over Kyle Lowry. And go back to any key play. Uh, we like to celebrate these things when they turn out, and when they don't turn out, we like to get really negative fast. And so the play didn't work, duh, and, and they only lost by, by one point. Uh, but if that play works, then, then we're going to assume that, that, that what a genius play, and look how it was executed, and they can just do that. But listen to what the player will say about it. The player will always say, well, it worked. 
or it, yeah, it just didn't work. They're, they're not too wound up about that because they understand that the play had to work or, you know, they lost because it didn't work because of what preceded it, as Dan said. I mean, clearly in that game, the three-point shooting was a disaster for the Raptors. Had they canned a couple at any point, that whole scene would have been altered. You'd have to recut the entire movie. It would be totally different. You wouldn't need that play. And, and so when you're trying to repair something, I mean, this could even apply to your normal life situation where, where something goes wrong and, and you just deal with, with the end, the finish line is what I call it. Well, it's what precedes the finish line is how you repair it. And in this particular case, uh, they would say, we just need to sharpen our shooting. And we wouldn't be in that position. That's an easy fix. You, you can shoot better in the next game. Think about the hockey cliche. You know, well, you're down two nothing what do you need to know need to do and what is the line that always comes out of a player's mouth we need to shoot the puck more we need to get the puck on the net of course you had 16 shots none of them went in if you have another 16 shots one of them's going to bounce off somebody's rear end and go in that's like a sales pitch right you're, you're running a sales team uh, yeah sales are down well you guys aren't calling enough people get on the phone get out there and hustle and, and that's just a, like a, a numbers thing where if you hit 2,000 people you're going to hit one you're going to get a sale right if you, if you hit only 500 people your, your odds go down so th- this is what I don't like about that, that uh, analysis on the final play it, it is true it is accurate and it's something to talk about but there's a lot that happens before that actually puts it in that situation and then players understand that when you have to do something it's probably 50 50 at best i mean obviously we, we have that memory of of the uh, of the uh, Kawhi leonard basket against philadelphia which is just a great play and he had an open look and he canned it although it bounced around four times and you like to think that they could pull that off every time and hopefully it's not just a one-off but uh, you don't want to have to re- rely on that happening because just as many times as it works out, it doesn't work out. So that's where I got sort of stuck on on the loop of conversation about the timeout, uh, you know, the last play. Okay, it, it did happen that way. And, you know, you're asking your question or forming your thought because you know the answer. Well, as it's happening, nobody knows the answer, but they do know the probability. And, and I'm going to tell you that I think they would admit it. It's probably 50-50. Uh, we have, from Pardon the Interruption, conversation about talking about Game 5 and looking ahead to Game 6. Tony, this was the, you know, this would have been the number one topic coming out of this game. But this, this game was so crazy, so many dramatic elements. The timeout's crazy because they had just gone, they meaning Toronto, had a, I think it was a 12-2 run. Kawhi Leonard had scored 10 points in a Jordan-like playoff burst and you're like oh oh my god they're going to win this game and they're going to end this tonight in toronto with thousands of people gathered it seems on every street corner in canada ready to explode and then the timeout came and i know that i i heard nick nurse's explanation which sounds completely reasonable he thought his guys were gassed he didn't want to waste a possession and he thought he should help them out there but everybody else was second guessing and the nature of the second guess was wait a minute you got momentum you gotta make steve kerr use his final time out and you don't give golden state anything and that seemed to be the prevailing mood tony around it even after nurses explanation so i'll go three things really quickly i don't blame him for the time out kawhi leonard was tired he's his best player you gotta make sure he's okay for the rest of the game uh, the second point you want to make is I think the Warriors just played great late, and they that's did. what they do. They did. They did exactly what they do. They got they guys did. hit threes. And I have no fault with the last shot, which you didn't bring up. You got a corner it three. It was blocked. I understand, but you got a corner three by an all-star guard, Kyle Lowry. You take that shot because Kawhi Leonard had no shot. 
And then two That's guys right. are on. But let me well, go. Let me go forward. And to say this, if Toronto loses this series, I don't think they will. If they lose this series, given that they will lose two of the last three in a row and two of the last three at home, would be the greatest choke job in the history of basketball. And if Golden State wins this series, their core four guys, right, Iguodala, Green. Curry and Thompson become gods among men. Yeah, they become no, legendary no players. Tony, let me mention no the Durant. play. Let me mention the play that was almost as important as the as the two threes by Clay Thompson and the one and the three by Curry. And that is Draymond Green calling an audible Double like team. a quarterback. Double team. And he says, "Go now." And that yep. was the the key, the signal for Iguodala to step up and join Clay Thompson and double team Kawhi Leonard. Why? Because they know Leonard is not going to force a play. He doesn't right. do that. No, he's, he's going to move the ball. He, has, he, the, he has the mentality of LeBron James to move Man. the ball. That's so, right. And so, so, Tony, two great defensive plays in one great. sequence. Yep. The double team and Draymond Green getting a, a fingernail on that shot every day. You know, and I, I agree with I'm glad that they, they took the full look here. Sometimes when you're doing analysis for your own team, you get myopic. So there's another, there's another phrase. Yesterday we had innocently awkward. Today we have myopic analysis where you're just looking at, at what the one team did. Don't forget about the other team in the equation. You've got to give some credit to Golden State there. I mean, that, that's a marvelous piece of execution defensively and offensively at the right time. And a lot of this analysis is based on two letters, IF, IF. I don't think players think that way. I think players deal with what. What's right in front of them? How do you make this work? IF is a great thing for conversations, but I don't know that it's relevant in a dressing room. Having said that, we move on to the KD situation, and clearly a lot of stuff has been said here. And I go back to what I said last week, that, that his situation, and it's pretty clear that this is exactly what happened. His situation, whether he would return or not, would be based on the state of the series. And so there's some serious questions you have to ask, maybe not you, but, but the, the people involved here. You know, if, if you had to sit down with your, with your backs against the wall down 3-1, if you had to have that conversation and, and I heard Jalen Rose speak this way. Would they have had the conversation if the Warriors were leading three games to one? If the answer is no, and the answer is yes to the first question, you have to have that conversation because you're trailing three games to one. That's a bit of a sway. That's a bit of a tough spot for me because all of a sudden, the way you're looking at that injury or the way you're looking at his health is... is um, it's jaded. It's it's got it, it's it's um, influenced by the fact that you're down three one. If you're up three one, you wouldn't even broach the question. So I mean that that's kind of negligent, strong words. But that's the way I look at it. I mean that's just not right. And clearly, you know, again, not being a doctor, never played one on television or radio. If you got a sore calf and and it's not where it should be, and I don't know how you would know where it is, uh, then the next piece of uh, of your body that's going to have a problem would be the Achilles and. By gosh, that's exactly what happened. Uh, there's got to be some real serious soul-searching going on in the Warriors' front office. And a lot of it's triggered by Bob Myers and his emotional outburst. But as we had uh, our guest on from Golden State yesterday saying that um, that's just the way the man is. He really cares. And, and if you look at the video again, as KD's coming off the floor, that Mr. Myers is right behind him. So there's a lot of concern. I, I wish we could have been a fly in the wall to understand what those conversations were. But I, I think the biggest question that comes out of that is, did you only have the conversation because you were down 3-1? That might be a bit of a problem. Coming up next, the highly anticipated Yes Guy, No Guy. This is Raptor Shootaround, TSN 1050, TSN1050.ca. Also available on the TSN and iHeartRadio apps. Now, back to game day. Yes Guy. 
no guy. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, drivers and passengers, time now for the Raptors shoot-around edition of Yes Guy, No Guy. All rights reserved. Are you ready for this, Arad? You all set? I was born ready for Yes Guy, No Guy. Really? Wow. That's, that's an intriguing line. Yes Guy, No Guy number one. You were expecting more from the Warriors than you've seen in the last five games. You wanted more from them. Yes, guy. Yeah. Absolutely. Not Clay Thompson or Steph Curry, but I thought I'll see more from Andre Iguodala. I thought I'll see more from Draymond Green, Sean Livingston. I thought I'll see more, a, a lot more from those guys. The supporting cast has been very, very weak. So look at it this way. Uh, the two Golden State wins are final possession wins. The Raptors wins are by 9 points, 13 points, 14 points. They're full value for the 3-2 series lead. Exactly. I mean, Raptors have exceeded my expectations of how they're going to play. The Warriors haven't even met it. Go and ahead. that worries me, actually. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, because there's two yeah. games where it could show up. Exactly. Uh, one at a time. Yeah. Okay, go ahead, sir. Yes guy, no guy. Kyle Lowry will have at least 10 assists in Game 6. Oh, yes guy. I mean, you know, I said this earlier. You know, the Kawhi Leonard performance drives... The, the team. There's no question about that. And on a nightly basis, it's who's going to chip in. But but I think they need more than who's going to chip in. They need somebody to co-anchor this thing. And, and I'm going to go with Kyle. Should be the guy to do it. So yes, guy. Um, yes, guy. No guy. The Raptors will respond in Game Six, and I mean all of them. Yes, guy. I feel like the supporting cast will absolutely step up. Pascal Siakam has been kind of a no-show since the first two games. He will step up. And I feel like Danny Green will finally have a good three-point shooting game in the NBA Finals. So, yes, guy. No. Okay, go ahead, sir. Yes, guy. No guy. Number two from this side of the glass. A warrior not named Curry or Thompson will score 20 points in Game 6. I'm going to say no, guy. No, I don't see it. I'm looking at their lineup. I don't see it. So, no, guy. Good for the Raptors. Yeah, absolutely. So that's like controlled madness. If, if I could map it out this way, if you know that Kawhi's going to go lights out and, and you can control everybody else, that's, that's a way to beat the Raptors. The, the flip side of that is if you're going to let Curry and Thompson do their thing and nobody else does anything, that's a way to control them if, in fact, you can. Uh, and you go back to that, uh, what was that, Game 3? where uh, And Game 4 to a certain yeah, extent. Game, yeah, because Thompson was coming back. But Curry with the 47 points, and if you added his assists, I think it came in at like 60 to somewhere between 60 and 65 points, which is like more than 55% of what they did. And although that was a great game for him, it didn't really help. It, it didn't push the team over. It helped the team, but it didn't push them over. Yeah, you keep all the other players basically out of rhythm, except one. So that doesn't bode well for the whole team, right? So you need always, you need a full team effort for them to win. Yes, guy, no guy number three. The timeout analysis of game five is out of whack. Half yes guy, half no guy. Oh, we've never had that before. Let me just check with the judges. Okay, you can do that. Sounds good. I would say yes guy to the first timeout where everybody's gassed and Nick Nurse took that timeout. I fully understand why he did that. But no guy to not taking a timeout in the final position of the game. I feel like him not taking a timeout and yeah, he had full confidence on the team. I'm sure they... Pl- practiced that play a million times but it didn't really give the Raptors a good look to win the championship and that's what you want from your team on the final position a good look so half yes guy half no guy first time ever yeah and so you know if Kyle drops the shot we don't care right 
If Kyle drops a shot, it's a genius move, right? Okay, <laughs> like, but there you go. This but is a genius it, it, or not. It, and that works outside of the team. Like, yeah. for you and I to talk about that or whoever, it's a great conversation. But the team doesn't think that way. The of course team, not. The team understands that that play is a 50-50 shot at going in and didn't go in on to the next game. And I feel like the players actually commend the move because Nick Nurse had enough confidence in them not to call the timeout and let them run the play. So I feel like it does... Well, that's, I'm glad you brought that up yeah. because that, that speaks to the mindset of everybody involved. Everybody that's involved in that game, when the coaching staff and the players are looking for the solution and they're thinking positively, uh, the analysis is based on something that didn't work out. And then you're trying to, as I said before, trying to re-edit the movie by changing one scene. Um, and it doesn't work that way. They are, they're marching forward with the thought that this is what we need to do to win. Well, it didn't work out. Well, you don't win every game. Exactly, and uh, Jack Armstrong talked about it on Overdrive yesterday that this is very, very consistent with the identity of this team all year, right? They're, I mean, for a lack of a better phrase, they're adults who are treating each other like adults. They're yeah. not like children, time out every play, let's set something up. You know, let the players play. Let the guy have their creative freedom. Well, and you couldn't have success if you overmanaged on a, on a daily basis. You'd, Absolutely. you tune everybody out. In not just sports, right? In every single oh, walk of life. There, I mean, look, there, there are life lessons to be learned here. Uh, when when you go back over the, the theories as to what's done, you could apply that to just about any any facet of your life and understand that if you're positive and are constantly looking for the solution, you'll find it. If you start second guessing yourself, it's not going to happen. Absolutely, go and ahead, no sir. second guessing here. No. Yes, guy. No guy. Number three. Oh. This side of the glass. The last, the last sound heard at Oracle Arena will be Raptors fans chanting, let's go Raptors. Oh, well, that, that could apply either way. So I'm going to say yes, guy. Yes, guy. Because, okay. because if, you're, if you're traveling to Oakland to watch the game, regardless of the result, you're going to be supportive. So yes, guy. Will that be the last sound heard, though, once all the Warriors fans are cleared out and Raptors fans are celebrating? These Toronto fans are, I mean, they are, they're loyal, so they're going to outweigh, they're, they're going to go, if it doesn't work out for the Raptors, they're, they're going to absolutely do that to show support for Game 7. Okay, I, I buy that. Yeah, that's a good yes guy. Okay, now this is a tricky one. Uh, just because I, I have to do this. It's, it's a tough yes guy, no guy from the studio portion of the broadcast. Are you ready for this? Yes, sir. If you could cheer KD's injury, if you could cheer KD's injury, then you have to admit the Warriors would be in much better shape and would have the series lead with him. Absolute yes guy. Absolute yes guy. You saw it at the beginning of the first quarter how much of a different team they are with KD. Oh, this, you see this how many open the... shots like Clay Thompson in particular gets because you have to double KD because how well, how fast he is, how good he is, how easily he can get his own shot. So absolute yes, guy. This series would have been probably done by now or maybe you know the Warriors are up 3-2 if KD is playing. I mean, that, that's a big element they're missing there. And, you know, there was all that talk at the start of the series and I'm not going to justify but i'm just going to report the fact that people said that if the rappers were to win this without kd in that that wouldn't be the same but but you know we didn't justify that talk because not everybody's healthy in any championship four out of seven series regardless of the league so i wouldn't take anything away from the raptors but it was a pretty clear fact in game five based on the the 12 minutes that we saw that this would be a different series with him in it absolutely and yeah you're right i mean go back to the warriors 
what was it, four seasons ago? No Kyrie Irving, no Kevin Love. You go back, and like you've yeah, said this millions of times, right? Like yeah. You can look at every series, every sport, every Super Bowl, every game. Somebody's injured somewhere. Well, look, You well, can't put an asterisk beside everything. Here's the best way to describe it. When they're having the parade, nobody's debating an, an a 4 of 7 that you should have swept. Uh, that doesn't matter. You're celebrating the moment, and nobody's, nobody's bemoaning the fact that, that you beat a team that wasn't totally healthy. It's a parade. You won. You move on. You enjoy and move on. Exactly. In 10 years, when kids go to Scotiabank Arena, all they see is the banner and the glory days of 2019. So here's another line to sum that up. There's not enough room on the banner to explain how. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right? There's no uh, there's no fine print on any banner. Yeah, <laughs> the banner's only it has limited size. You can't put all the reasons why it happened. You just enjoy it and, and as the years go on it gets even more enjoyable if that even makes any sense because the parade would be something very special. Well, let's just say when I go to the building that used to be called Skydome and I see those banners all I see is the banners in the championships, right? I don't care what happened. I know, but it's as, just a banner. As I told you yesterday, people actually wondered why Cito Gaston made certain moves and the series went on to six games. And why? those people that this went this happened exactly. this happened all all off season. Like why why didn't he why didn't he pinch it? I can't remember what the what the problem was, but I do remember taking calls saying, and again, I know it happened back to back. That's just miserable. I, it, it is miserable, but some people like to have that debate, and, and I don't know why, but. Nonetheless, it goes on. Uh, we could get out of here and set up the second hour. Uh, so coming up next, Bruce Arthur from the Toronto Star, followed by Micah Adams, global managing editor for NBA.com, former ESPN numbers guy, uh, followed by Sherman Hamilton, part of our broadcast crew uh, in Oakland, getting set for Game 6, Raptors and Golden State Warriors. This is Raptors Shootaround. You're listening on TSN 1050 or maybe TSN 1050.ca or perhaps the TSN or iHeartRadio apps.